0: Welcome to the PR Resolution Podcast. I'm your host, Stella Bales. In this podcast series, I'll be interviewing experts in emerging areas of PR. We'll be taking those hot topics in public relations, dispelling any myths, breaking down the jargon so you are completely clued up and ready to speak to your stakeholders by the time you reach the office. If you have any questions around the episode, please feel free to tweet me at Stella Bales. In this episode, I interview Danny Bell. Danny is known for producing and directing TV shows we all know and love, such as Big Brother and Love Island. But he has some really unique experience because he is increasingly working with brand teams and agencies on video content. And with the change in how we're all now consuming TV, the merge in editorial and owned content, and the decrease in TV advertising budgets, I think that we're in a really interesting space in how brands can reach audiences through video. And that's exactly what I'm quizzing Danny on. In this interview, we cover brand involvement in traditional TV right now, what's working, why a lack of integration between production and brand sponsorship can often mean that both parties miss out. Danny also shares some insights around traditional TV versus online audiences and how the engagement metrics and audience metrics really differ between the two. We also explore whether a PR agency could come up with a TV show idea and why getting directors and producers involved early into the idea development can result in access to huge audiences. Basically, video content is part of your brand plans. The next half an hour is gold dust. Here's Danny. This is a topic that I've really wanted to explore for some time now and it's the relationship of public relations and TV content. Especially with the move of the increase of on-demand content online now and I know that I speak to a lot of PR people right now where in a lot of brainstorms, people will say, especially for consumer brands, let's make a TV show. And it doesn't always happen very often, but there is still a place around uh, for brands in TV. So Danny's got some really interesting experience on both sides. I'm just really keen to see where you think it is placed. So... Going right back to the beginning, have you ever seen uh, some examples of brands involved in TV and what's worked?
1: You know, I think, I think there's been some really good examples recently of brands sponsoring TV shows. Like if you think of sort of Love Island, I think it was last year's Superdrug with a Love Island sponsor. And in my head now, I absolutely associate Superdrug with Love Island. And interestingly, on that kind of Superdrug Love Island deal, that um, they sponsored kind of all the TV programme around it and also the Love Island podcast was the number one podcast for the whole of the summer and that was up against kind of the World Cup when it was on and was beating World Cup podcasts and Superdrug had a really kind of prominent presence within that. And I think from what I've heard about about that, that that those podcast hours counted as programming hours as part of the deal they did with Superdrug. So, you know, a podcast that's costing like a fraction of the price Mm. of producing a show like Love Island obviously worked well enough for that brand to kind of think they got enough engagement with it to, to sort of tick those boxes kind of in terms of, of hours delivered. But in terms of like actual shows made by a brand, I think what's amazing is, is that no, <laughs> I sort of can't think of loads of examples and then I think, I think it's kind of a few different reasons for that. Um, I think some of that is there's still a sort of snobbery within channels that something brought by a brand is just automatically gonna be a bit shit, which isn't necessarily the case, but it's sort of like ad funded programming is sort of looked at, I think a lot of the times it's looked at as kind of a, se- a second tier product generally. Mm. Um, with shows. And then then another reason for that is there's still kind of pretty strict rules and regs around product placement within shows that I think limits the ways in which brands can genuinely be integrated into TV shows.
0: So going back to your uh, TV experience, I know that you've worked on reality shows like Love Island and Big Brother in the past. At what point when you're in the production does a brand get involved and were you involved with the brand at any point? So coming from the PR point of view and from a marketing marketing perspective where do where do we start to speak to the production team
1: or not Yeah, okay, you know I'd, I'd say like with like with most things I'm sure this won't be a massive surprise to most people listening to this it's not all things aren't always paired up in the mo, in the most efficient way <laughs> as possible and it's kind of like generally within a tv channel there'll be a separate team that are working on marketing deals and sponsorship deals than the editorial team and, and, and they're kind of generally speaking aren't too joined up like I remember a few years back I made a show for Sky with Rihanna, that Rihanna was kind of the executive producer on, and Sky were kind of, everyone was very excited about it kind of happening. And at the time the show got commissioned, there wasn't a series sponsor. And kind of in the background, um, all these conversations were going on, and we were halfway through shooting the series, and the series was like a load of fashion designers sort of working in a studio, making clothes for pop stars. Absolutely nothing like Project Runway, if anyone from Project (laughs) Runway is listening. Um, And halfway through us shooting the show, Sky did a deal with... Diet Coke to become the official show sponsors and they were like right so everything within the show the only drink that anyone can ever be seen anywhere near has got to be a Diet Coke can and we were like well we'll film six weeks of the show and it's a working studio and they've been drinking whatever they're drinking and we ended up sending the finished edits to some like special effects company who'd done Star Wars and then as if by magic every like can on a desk in the studio or every drink or every anything miraculously we came as i coke can wow and you totally wouldn't have noticed seeing it but it's like that would have been a lot easier if that conversation had happened before we started chewing
0: two questions that spring to mind there are you ever involved with the conversations with a brand and, like, whether that was successful or not? Like, how do they ever measure success with that?
1: It's all a bit like the Wild West, I think, generally, in the terms of, like, content generally, but to in, uh, include TV within that, that, like, like, I used to do a lot of work for Adidas, making sort of football content for them that worked really well online. And I remember looking at this stuff thinking, well, this should just be in football focus or should be on BT Sports before a game. And, and I think the issue with that then, of kind of getting that onto TV, was actually because it had come from that agency world of doing it more than a TV world, it was actually just too many people involved to then have a really straightforward conversation about then placing that on a TV channel. Mm. And um, and, it, and it was like, I remember having conversations with people within Adidas and it was just a bit like, actually, yeah, this stuff we're making could live within a TV show, but then actually the conversations then were like, how do you then balance that up against it existing digitally? Mm. And, and, and an issue there we, that we came to a few times was like, Actually, prominence in terms of like a bra- the, the prominence of a brand and logos like that like you can get away with a million times more digitally and online than you can within a TV show. Mm. So with the stuff I was doing about Adidas, when like everything everyone was wearing obviously was Adidas, and they were holding an Adidas football, and it was on a football pitch, with an Adidas logo on it, it was very very Adidas. Mm. And actually, like if you were, if you were being strict about that, that then broke a lot of broadcast regs in terms of prominence of a brand within there, even though actually that content with those, you know, we have access to the biggest players in the world, the biggest clubs in the world who added that. And you'd think that like, if you were BT Sport, you'd murder for that Mm. content to go before a Champions League game. But um, yeah, there were just kind of issues around prominence and stuff. And I think actually kind of like, in my experience of doing that, I think I've not been involved in a lot of projects where everything's been true, or any actually, if I'm being honest, where everything's been truly joined up where you you start off talking to the brand, talk about the product, and talk about exactly where it's gonna land, and then work within that world of going, well, actually, what's the compromise to make it work as a TV product and as a digital product? Do we shoot two versions of it? and? Well, it's actually everything, as with most things in the universe that we all exist within. A lot of these conversations happen a bit too late.
0: So the Adidas example uh, you just mentioned, just focusing on that for a second, um, was that online content? And at what point did they get in touch with you? Who got in touch with you? It'd be really interesting just to see that process. Yeah,
1: I mean, like, the kind of... The way I work generally is, and this, I don't know how useful this is to people listening to this podcast, is, is generally quite unconventionally. And the way I ended up working with Adidas worked in a pretty unconventional way that I think like traditionally the way of a brand making content is it goes like that kind of down that agency route that like with Adidas they work with a load of different agencies. They work with We Are Social who were their kind of social agency who I ended up working with a lot and kind of run their social stuff. And the kind of a more traditional model would be the people within Adidas are talking to the people within that agency and they and they come up with the creative together the agency leader and it goes in that platform. I, I kind of came from, it from a slightly different angle but ended up sort of working really well was that i was working for a production company a kind of tv and film production company i had a really old friend of mine who was head of football at adidas and just really liked the stuff that i made and we'd sort of worked together in the past who got in touch with me directly about kind of it was just before the world cup in the the, the rio world cup and, and the guy who was the head of football at adidas was a really, really smart guy and he was out in rio setting up for the world cup and he was like i'm on the ground in rio i can see with my eyes that all anyone cares about here is football and reality shows can you make me a reality show about football in Rio that we put out around the World Cup? And I was like, the World Cup's in a month, mate. (laughs) So, yeah. And then, obviously, we totally couldn't do that. But that opened up a bigger conversation with the production company I was working within about, kind of, is there other content that we could make around that? And we ended up, kind of, doing doing bits of content with them for their digital platform that, that we made as a production company. We are social, kind of, work. We work with We Are Social, but they, sort of, worked almost like the, kind of, the platform, the, the broadcaster in a way of doing it. And it went out and actually we approached it a bit more like a kind of, or my approach to that was a bit more like a TV approach, because that was my kind of background and the stuff we did. And and what it meant with a brand like Adidas is is actually, for the first time with a bit of Adidas we were working within, we were engaging with their football players more to get them to do stuff where they talked more and, and did stuff that felt a bit more kind of televisual in that way. Mm. And but felt a little bit different to kind of stuff you might have seen digitally that's a bit more kind of visual and was just a bit more product focused. And my approach was a bit more like, no, make the man say the thing and do the thing yeah. and engage with him in that way. And I ended up kind of over the years, like kind of after that, kind of over the years doing a lot more stuff with Adidas and, and working within some of their agencies and kind of doing some stuff directly with them. And my approach was always like, actually, how do I take my TV sensibilities and pair them up with your brand sensibilities and then kind of agency sensibilities and try and create stuff that feels a bit different.
0: At that stage when you're creating something like that example for the World Cup for Adidas, has there been a conversation around the audience and then the distribution of that content? Like, Did you know at that point how Adidas or the agency was planning to release this content?
1: That's the one thing I'd say that kind of like that agency universe and that brand universe are way ahead of in terms of like traditional TV is knowing their market. Knowing their analytics, knowing who they're aiming stuff at, and knowing how people are engaging with things, wanting to sell product. Do you know what I mean? It's like, like the end of the day, it's like if you're a, you're a sports brand and you and you're launching a new football boot, you want to sell those football boots. So you're coming from a point of view of going, well, we know that. Our audience is 13 to 17 year old boys who are into these type things and they buy the product and they engage in this way. And actually those conversations as a a content maker and a program maker, you should think that brand involved that way should be taking away the creativity. I love those conversations because you just think, right, I totally know now who we're aiming at, what the brief is. Do you know what I mean? And it's like, it's the sell of some of those football boots. And then your job as a programme maker or a creative is just to think creatively around a way that doesn't just feel like a three-minute commercial. Yeah. Whereas in television, it's like, you know, you're driven by the creative and there isn't really that brand involvement. In that way, sometimes that feels a bit less targeted.
0: So if, uh, the TV experience that you just mentioned, when you are going into that creative sort of build, I guess, for a show, What is the brief like? Is is it just that somebody has a concept, or do you ever get that kind of audience targeting? That's because it's really interesting. Because I've always been PR marketing world, so that kind of, and also agency world. So I get a brief, and it's a tight brief, and there's a there's a delivery at the end of it. Like, and sometimes, especially in digital marketing agency that I was working in, it's like this is the audience brief, and we need X sales off the back of it. Uh, So it couldn't be more targeted. So do
1: you ever get that kind of audience brief? You get briefed. I mean, maybe it's because my background is a bit more mixed between the two different sides. I actually wish TV would move on a bit and actually be a bit more honest about kind of the so like like in, in TV you'll get you'll get a brief from a channel that's like this year what we're interested in is shows about XXX shows that are like a gang show that feature a bunch of people doing stuff. We want more reality shows. We wanna, they'll have a focus, but it's still a bit like blue sky speak and a, a bit vague generally and I think the thinking behind that is you know they, they are thinking like they want a, a range of creative ideas and don't want to be too specific but actually sometimes if you're dealing with an agency and the, or dealing with a brand and the brief is we need to sell five thousand pairs of football boots, and this is the aim, and this is the demo, and it's boys of this age, and it's in this these countries. And actually, I think for me, in the way my brain works, it makes it easier to think of the creative because mm. you know really clearly kind of what you're going in on. Yeah. Whereas a TV brief is a bit more general. Mm. And, but then, but then the good the good side of that kind of TV briefing is is like you can go in with weird ideas.
0: Yeah, do you know what I mean? And yeah. like
1: in some of them turn into TV shows, or or with, or with or with some of the TV shows I've worked on before, like when I did Big Brother and some of those big mm. reality shows. Within there, they're almost like you're testing out mini formats within those shows. Like, there's a few things on Big Brother that we did as tasks on Big Brother and then got turned into their own formats. Oh, really? So it's kind of like the creative brief is a bit is a bit more open. But it also means in that, that way things flop occasionally and, you know, they get channels and companies and producers, we get it wrong sometimes and, and they just flop a bit more. But actually, like, I'd sort of hope that as a TV producer and somebody who loves making TV shows that the way TV shows are commissioned sort of would use modern tools a bit more Mm. and use analytics a bit more and actually be honest about kind of... And actually then I think, and and, and it's really weird because like as a programme maker, you have nothing to do with the people who sell ad space, which is really weird to me. Yeah. So you'd sort of think like if you're doing Love Island or Big Brother or one of those shows and and they're funding that by selling advertising slots, you'd sort of think that as senior level on those shows, you'd be having conversations with our sales teams and you know, in the teams that are selling those sponsorship deals, and you know you don't having any of those conversations.
0: It is interesting because again, I, stuff that I learned once I was left of PR moved more into digital marketing. and I was working with a paid team, and also I was speaking. I've, we've, got, we've got both got shared connections in in the TV world, and I was speaking to somebody in TV around that time. And that producer I had, that I was speaking to had no idea of the capabilities of of paid advertising and how it had progressed. So there's, and I was just explaining some of the ways that people can be targeted online at the same time as watching a TV ad and you know if it has the same kind of content and if it had the same kind of content as it did within the TV show or some kind of alignment then they can just respond a lot easier through social ads and all sorts of things it'd work so much better I think maybe it will hopefully get there in some time
1: I find now the model of ad breaks and advertising that we still work to now hasn't moved on in years Mm. like suicidal for the television industry i look at that now in the age of streamers and the age of netflix you know when yeah. when people can skip through the title sequence of a show yeah. never mind five ad breaks in it of five random adverts do you know like there's nothing there's nothing joining that content up yeah do you know what mm-hmm. I mean like and, and in that way that like the, t- the team and the commissioning team even within the channel have made that show have had nothing to do with ad sales yeah and who does that end up being? I find that now, in the age we're in now, like so bizarre. I think that's probably
0: why we're seeing brand teams and marketing teams moving budget more into branded content that you're, you're, you're working on more and more and, and sponsorship maybe, like editorial sponsorship, because they can see more return, I'm guessing. Yeah. Just looking at that sort of area, and again, putting myself in the, the PR team and being able to work with you, you mentioned that you really love being able to see the results of that kind of work. So if there's been, you know, how many people might have seen that that content. Do you, um, when you're working with these teams, are you sort of finding out like what kind of targets they might have. How much information do you A, want to see or B, get given in terms of like the delivery?
1: Working with brands, I like just being told what the aim is. So for me, it's like the more that I know about what they're trying to sell, the more I know about what they think their demo is, the more I know about where this stuff's being, I mean, about where it's being placed completely. Mm. And I've done some jobs where they're more joined up and the agencies have been more joined up and somewhere they are less so, when I worked with We Social and Adidas, they were really good at knowing everything we were delivering. So it's like there'd be someone there in the early days of Snapchat. There'd be someone there just shooting the bit of it that would go on Snapchat. We had Instagram deliverables. We had deliverables that went onto their Facebook page. That some that went onto Adidas's YouTube page. Some that went onto their .com. And we knew about all of these things and you were going in there kind of knowing that this stuff had to be completely multi-purpose. And, and actually like a lot some of the stuff I used to do about Adidas was, was really unique in the way that that it existed um, digitally, primarily. but also, I used to make a, I used to work on a show um, called Game Day Plus that Adidas made. It was a pretty traditional magazine show but did really well for them on that kind of digital platforms. But that show also got played in. In Adidas stores around the world, it got played on the screens at stadiums before Champions League games. Mm. They stuff. I think they like sold it to an airline, and you could watch it on like a plane somewhere. And it's like the stuff we were shooting had to be work, used so multi-purposely that you could never have gone in not knowing that. If yeah. you'd just gone in to shoot some cool stuff, yeah, it would have been a nightmare. Then to kind of trying to reversion into all those things. Like, but if you go in knowing all of those things, and as a TV producer, it was quite weird for me at first when you'd go. Oh, what that kid's flown in from Germany with an iPhone just to shoot the Snapchat content, and that seemed at first mental to me. But then you go, no, that's amazing because that's where they get their engagement. Yeah. So actually, like, it's really smart. Yeah. And working in that way is really, really smart, and that Snapchat content is totally engaged with
0: that example that you've just explained there. Just makes a a marketer's eyes light up with that that amount of content that you've just mentioned and the audiences that could engage with that is just huge and really exciting because then I'm sat here thinking, God, and then you could pay to promote it and all of those channels, like the audience size is massive. But yeah, and then you're saying about somebody coming in to film Snapchat. That must be quite a new thing for you, is it? Or has that been going on for a while? And how
1: involved are you with that part? and who was it? Is it an influencer or was it a yeah, part of the Adidas it team? A, it was part of the ad, occasionally when I was doing an Adidas jobs, occasionally we'd be part of the Adidas team, occasionally would be part of the agency team. But they you know, but they had a clear brief. They were capturing stuff to go on that platform. Mm. You know, it's the same with like you'd capture stuff that would be for an Insta story or Instagram then and then then Instagram stories as they kind of took over as a way of engaging with, with things. And um, it's a very different to the way kind of TV traditionally has worked. TV is moving on in some ways in this way, but nowhere near quickly enough. Like the way a lot of TV shows work is digital is looked at as an absolute afterthought. And the digital teams are looked at like as kind of this win it stuck onto things <laughs> that no one wants to deal with, <laughs> which is really weird for me when you sort of go, no, that's how everyone, especially for a young audience, yeah. that's how everyone engages with everything. Mm-hmm. As TV's audience gets older and older and older, actually, weirdly, I've noticed that on a lot of big shows, kind of big things, they're caring about digital less and less. Like, it isn't becoming this thing where you sort of go, no, we're totally living within a digital age, and digital's becoming more integrated. I think, like, digital's actually on some, in some circumstances, becoming less important because the real audience of those shows are people in their 50s Mm. at home who aren't going to be on Snapchat and aren't going to be on Insta. Like, if you look at, like, a show like The X Factor now, it has much less of a digital presence than it had a few years ago. Yeah. Interestingly.
0: So do you think that shows that are only streams, like a, a Netflix special or something, do you see that they have more digital support?
1: Well, interestingly, there's kind of no... Like, those Netflix shows have sort of no digital yeah. backup because they are the digital product. The show is the digital. Yeah. But there's, like, there's actually, like, an amazingly low amount of sister shows to to, to those kind of sh- big shows that are put on those on those big streaming platforms. Mm. Like in the old days, like in the old days of me doing Big Brother 10 or 15 years ago, and there would be like Big Brother's Little Brother, Big Brother's Big Mouth, th- a digital content that went out alongside it. You look at like Riverdale on Netflix, there's not like a Riverdale no. spin-off. Or if there is, I don't know about it. Do you know what I mean? But like there's not that they don't because they don't need them. Yeah. Because like those shows are the content. And also, like as a young viewer now, as a viewer now, particularly as a young viewer, a thing that never existed when I was starting out kind of making shows is you can binge content now. I'd work on a show, you'd wait a week. Being drip fed, digital content has kept your interest yeah. alive over that week. Now I can go and smash in ninety-seven hours of Game yeah. of Thrones.
0: You don't need don't you don't need, need it. to watch yeah. the
1: you know the lesser budget stuff to keep my interest and then and also like you kind of get that engagement now through fan sites and through memes and through kind of that social content now that like and, and, and interestingly, and this is me just talking very anecdotally because I don't know the, re- like the real data on this, but like what those streamers are doing now in a really smart way is they're starting to engage in social content in a way that's really, really clever. Like if you look at Bird Box, the Sandra Bullock film that absolutely smashed it in for Netflix last year, apparently, so I don't know whether this is true or not. <laughs> But, like, Bird Box, like, went meme crazy. Yeah, it did. It was on, like, everywhere. And apparently that was completely strategised by Netflix that they opened loads of kind of, I say fake but not fake, they opened loads of fan sites and meme sites and started creating these memes before the show dropped or around the time the show dropped. So all this meme content was, like, naturally being shared. Right. But they'd set these, these accounts up in advance to do it. And that completely like blew up the amount you noticed that film and talked about that film yeah. and engaged in it socially. And some of that was organic, but I think apparently a load of that was, was the marketing team at Netflix.
0: So interesting how it's changing. A little plug for the podcast, actually. I'm interviewing two meme experts, if you want, um, which is a new job title, but two guys from have just started up their own agency to work with brands and they just know about how to make memes yeah, go crazy yeah. on Instagram. So yeah, that's coming up next week. In some ways it's surprising, in some ways it's not, oh, and that, it like, works.
1: I remember like the first time I used the expression meme culture in a meeting, I did it as a dare. <laughs> Because I was like, "That sounds absolutely ridiculous." Yeah, I'll, I'll say that in a meeting, and now I use it all the time. Unironically, <laughs> yeah. And that meme world—it's just a thing that people engage in. Yeah, it is. Do you know what I mean? I think I think that's the thing that we all need to catch up on. We have all these businesses and industries that are based around like massive machines producing stuff, and that's all monetized. And that's how we all pay our rent. But but like, there's a whole universe now of just stuff being created digitally and shared that isn't part of a massive machine necessarily mm. and isn't monetized. And, it's for, and what's happening is, is things like that Bird Box Netflix example is because we all work in businesses, we're all just then trying to monetize this stuff and ruin it and work out how it can work for us. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, it's like, like we always do, but actually the sort of amazing thing is is that like all this stuff kind of exists organically.
0: I guess just looking at that, because we've been talking about social content quite a lot, and that's the world that we live in, but you still involved in TV, but you have been involved in big-budget shows and high-quality production as well. How do you feel about going from sort of high-quality production budgets when you see the an influencer video being shared hugely and that doing really well and it's on an iPhone.
1: Interestingly, I could could talk about this shit all day. (laughs) Okay. This is an argument I often have with people within the TV industry. I think I come from a very different standpoint to the television industry generally, is that I don't see that stuff being made by influencers on a phone as low quality. Like, I actually just see it as modern. And I actually look at the stuff we make now that's like the bigger budget stuff with more cameras and more edits... To me, it's all about where that stuff's going to end up. Like, if you're, if you're placing that stuff that, like, I'd make traditionally as a TV show, shot on five cameras and has gone through an edit in a grade, you drop that on a social platform, it just looks fake. Yeah. People aren't going, oh, amazing, it looks so much better than the kid in the room who talks for three minutes. They're just going, it's fake and it's edited and it's not real. Whereas, like, the influencer in a room doing, like, a makeup tutorial for 25 minutes with no edit in it that gets 10 billion views. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? That's real content.
0: Maybe because the uh, our audiences now are just way more savvy, brand savvy. Yeah, but, like,
1: but I also just think, like, a lot of it is, like, technology has moved so quickly, especially in terms of technology of being able to make content, is actually shooting 4K on an iPhone in stereo isn't massively low quality.
0: No. You
1: sort of go, oh, yeah, it's like someone filming it on their phone. You go, yeah, that phone is a better quality camera yeah. than the cameras that I was shooting on when I started making TV shows. Yeah, it's not a BlackBerry. <laughs> yeah, do you know what I mean? Like, this stuff doesn't look terrible.
0: Yeah.
1: I think also it's just that difference now of, like, young people particularly, they're just engaging in things in a different way. Like, what they necessarily, that, that audience wants, isn't necessarily the service we provide as a traditional big production company with millions of cameras and a grade and, and all that sort of stuff maybe that just in some circumstances isn't what people want.
0: It's just I think we just have to sort of keep seeing how it works what's something that you're working on right now in terms of brands or recently worked on it's just good for us to just see what's going out right now in terms of
1: example in my, With my TV head on I'm kind of developing a few um, I'm working with an American production studio sort of developing some new ideas a, a, a sort of studio that do scripted and unscripted and I'm kind of working on a lot of unscripted things and kind of and interestingly the American company I'm working with are called Gunpowder and Sky and one of the things that really interests me about them is they own a stake in a really really interesting digital platform in America called Cut and Cut um, make these really really good films that that, that are really really simple shot on a couple of cameras in a white room that are basically people revealing things about themselves and telling stories and they get 200 million views a month in their content Wow. And that's like, and what they are is they're amazing at casting, amazing at telling stories. It is so simple, the stuff they do. And that's their kind of vibe and their style. And and I, you know one of their videos straight away when you look at it. And they've created their own little formats to do really well. Like they have a format called Fear Pong that gets loads of hits, uh, a format called Truth or Drink. Really, really simple formats. And I'm kind of working with Gunpowder at the minute and working with Cut about like looking at ways of turning the stuff they do digitally into television formats and looking at clever ways of doing that that isn't just, oh, well, you point, point more cameras at it. Mm. Do you know mm. what I mean? that I That's the way you look, traditionally. you actually sort of go, maybe that isn't... Maybe for some of their formats, that is a clever way of doing it. Maybe there are smarter ways now than, than doing that. It's like, are, are there ways of using all that stuff that they shoot online, that massive library of footage they've got, and using that for a TV format that works in a way that... Do you know what I mean? That, that, that might be a smarter way of thinking about... Yeah ways of working with them. and The TV learning from yeah, digital learn now. Them. And when I talk to the guys at Cut, I'm like fascinated by the way they think and they know who engages with their stuff in a way that you might not know that, that, that way from a TV show that you've made. Mm. Uh, in the relative recent past of my life, I'd done a bit of work with a sports platform and that sports platform, what was really interesting about the way they work is having some of the conversations we've been talking about here in, does throwing a million cameras at things make it higher quality? or just make it a bit weird for an app. Mm. Having conversations that a lot of kind of digital platforms and apps are having Mm. about kind of what makes something premium now. And I think that's a constantly changing thing. So just keep testing and learning.
0: Again, with my PR team hat on, and really because I have the experience of the the listeners here, and uh, I know that many people will be sitting on the tube right now with this in their ears and thinking... I need this information for my next brainstorm. (laughs) At what point could a brand team, PR team, marketing team, digital team, who have all of these brainstorms for the content um, across the year, at what point do they speak to somebody like you?
1: Again, it's like I kind of work quite unconventionally. The way things generally work is that agency model. That then every that everything's controlled by agencies. The brand speak to whichever agency deals with that bit of whatever it is they're doing. That agency then work out a way that works within the agency model to then talk about how things work. But generally, those agencies won't have a massive realistic understanding of television. Do you know what I mean? In terms of like plugging stuff into TV, because there isn't a natural fit to jump into TV. Because TV works like quite a separate industry. So that agency might be experts on digital platforms, print advertising, radio spots, kind of whatever their expertise is, but there's very few people who then understand how you then take Revlon and get Revlon a show on Channel 4. Mm But then within Channel Four, there's like sponsorship teams, but they're not massively joined up within those agencies. And I kind of work in quite a unique way in that, like, I've always just been driven by doing cool things and working. Whether that's a TV show or with a brand, and like, and, I, and for me, it's about like, I love working on new platforms and working in new ways. And it's like, for doing that, so I kind of work quite independently. Mm-hmm. So sometimes I'll be brought in by a brand, sometimes I'll be brought in by an agency, sometimes I'll be brought in. Generally, my work is kind of working with TV channels, but there's not there's not a lot of people that kind of join all of those things up.
0: I think that uh, even just from the information that we've explored in this podcast for a PR team, knowing that they don't just go straight down to the Channel 4 door and say, hey, we've got an idea. There's an awful lot of people yeah, involved. Yeah. The
1: thing I'd say is for a brand or, or the agents they're working with, the clearest way into a TV channel is to partner up with a production company and the production company goes in. Mm. Like, that production company can go and have meetings with those commissioners at channels and talk about programming. There are big companies whose jobs are putting ideas with brands, actually, but it's it's a bit weird. They're kind of like they're quite big corporate machines these companies. So it's a bit like they'll just be looking on their slate at a list of brands, looking on their slate at a list of formats and like who they can glue together. It, it, it won't necessarily be the most creative process. I
0: think that based on everything that you've shared with me today, it feels if I was in that PR team, I would be thinking not to go down the TV route. And just especially because we have to measure our work in so much more detail and uh, prove the, the impact with any kind of PR or marketing work now online just online content and all of those different formats So added that example you said just sounds like a dream a marketer's dream if there's the organisation up front
1: yeah in terms of like watching television on a television very hard to get like decent analytics back about any of that like even the way the way that those those ratings are rated is so arcane and old fashioned and out of date on a television it's a bit better when people watch through the digital platforms of a channel like if you're watching an iPlayer or 4OD or the IEV player mm-hmm. they have a bit more information then about yeah. who's watching them. You know, because you have logged into those things, mm-hmm. but it's still not like massive detail or if it is, those channels aren't generally sharing that yeah. that information yeah. um, in a way that you might be more used to, you know, if you're working in a kind of purely digital way and you're getting analytics back, yeah. like even the way like Instagram works now when they can give influencers really detailed analytics on who's engaging in there. Yeah in their content, like you don't, you don't get that from television.
0: I'm actually interviewing um, a tool called Hookit, which is um, just for Instagram influencers and analytics, and uh, because that's just growing, for brands put their budget there. So, yeah, it does seem to be growing. Just on that topic, you mentioned the Adidas example where um, they had invited in the the guy to film the Snapchat, um, and Instagram, etc. Does that was that a one off or does that happen a lot more? Are you were have you yeah, worked I like with influencers? Kind of when
1: I've worked with kind of bigger brands before, like like an added actual big kind of sportswear brand, that are working with bigger budgets. Do you mean bigger teams, with bigger budgets? Yeah, kind of like like a lot of that like that happens a lot. And, and what's weird is like as someone from a TV background, it's funny yeah. when, like when we were talking earlier about when you about going, you know, like production values, and from a traditional background, production values mean an expensive DOP and an expensive lens and loads of cameras and all that kind of stuff and actually like a lot of the time that's still the way you're working a lot of the the way people think but actually like for me at first I was like what Someone has flown in with an iPhone to shoot Snapchat content what a waste of money do you know what I mean whereas I wouldn't have batted an eyelid at spending that on an extra camera for my proper content but even then in that learning way even then you sort of go no 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 no." like now I, i it makes much more sense to me now to have that person there filming the Snapchat than throwing loads of cameras and money at the glossy, high-quality content. It makes much more sense for me to go, no, that person's doing something for Instagram, that person's doing something for Snapchat. And you go, well, yeah, you're just hitting loads more platforms and loads more eyeballs mm-hmm. in, the, in that way. Like You still want the, the, whatever the glossy bit is you're doing to be glossy, but I totally understand that spread in budget to hit, like, multiple platforms. Do
0: you share your vision for that, that kind of example? Do you share your vision with the people shooting for Snapchat or Insta, or is it they've already been briefed? Like, how much are you working
1: with them on a shoot? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's supposed to depend on kind of, like, if, if I'm working directly with an agency and I'm part of that kind of agency team, then, yeah, it's, it's a bit more joined up. If I've just been brought in as a sort of exec or a producer or a director on something not some not not so much joined up generally mm-hmm. that you're concentrating on your little bit mm-hmm. um you know and then and the, and the, and the snapchat person's concentrating on their bit but, but as with everything the more joined up and the more communication there is the easier everything always is
0: do you get the measurement results sent back to you from a team the view numbers or or any kind of reports or anything I mean, with I mean, my measurement i'm a bit of a, a pr yeah, I measurement mean, I,
1: fan so I think if you're doing a job and you're working like within an within an agency team then yeah totally do you know what I mean and, and you're you're with the nike team or with the revlon team or whoever then yeah that you know they're all over those that, those kind of analytics if i've just been brought in as like a director to shoot a thing it's very much like you're kind of gun for hire, and you go in and shoot your thing and disappear, and yeah. that's kind of all you hear of it. But like, you find it interesting to yeah, see it's those like results. Super interesting, yeah. And I'll, and I'll be all over like the YouTube or the Instagram, checking how many likes it's got, <laughs> and how many views it's got, yeah. Like, you know, all, all sort of thing. And you yeah. You, and I'm sure like everyone, it, you know, all those directors and producers are kind of probably doing that because you're just like even in an ego way, you're just like how many people are watching my film. But um, yeah, but I just think like I think in the way that you, that you talk about kind of data. Like we all should be obsessed with data for the first time ever. We actually have access to that data. And you know, like no one really on a print advert and a magazine, no one really knows who's looking at that and seeing it. But now when something that's going on a digital platform or a social platform, you actually can get those analytics. And that's kind of amazing.
0: It's how we learn, right? So yeah, totally. Cool. Thank you so much. That's uh, really, really, really insightful and so useful. So I guess just on the, the last note for the usefulness, if somebody wanted to work with you and they're part of a brand team, how how could they?
1: <laughs> Again, in a very unprofessional way, the best way of getting to me is probably through Instagram. Oh, that's exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> Great. I, I blame Danny. <laughs> I blame Danny on Instagram. That's probably the best way to get in touch with me. It's really weird. Like you sort of go, "Well, it's a bit ridiculous as a man, like in my forties, doing all this shit on Instagram." But like that—that's how people engage these days. Yeah. And, and even—and even now, like in, in a way of like, if I'm researching a show, a TV show, or or another bit of content, and there's someone I'm interested in to be involved in that project i get in touch with them by DMing them through their Insta. Stick into their DMs. Yeah, it's like, but, but interesting with all that stuff, in that, and that's kind of like, in a way, that is why the world's a slightly nightmarish place for a lot of us in these industries and also an amazing place is that like, in that way, you're skipping management agencies, yeah. agents, yeah. which is kind of good and kind of terrible. Yeah. But actually, like, it sort of means now, like through things like Instagram, everyone has a direct line to everyone. Yeah, which in some and sometimes is amazing, sometimes is like nightmarish.
0: We should do this interview again in like a, a year or f- uh, eighteen months just to see how it's developed. It's so interesting to see that. All right, I blame Danny on Instagram for your, all of your creative <laughs> TV content needs. Okay, cool. Thank you so much, Danny. that's was brilliant. Amazing, thank you. This is the PR Resolution Podcast. Keep in touch by following me on Twitter, at Stella Bales. For more reading on PR, head to blog.coveragebook.com. Don't forget to tune in to the next episode and make sure you subscribe to the series on iTunes now. See you there.